Good evening, afternoon, morning, manana. Um, I thought there was another word I'm missing here, but whatever that word is, welcome back to the interleague. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I'm running out of things to say because it's just a couple more that I mean, a lot more episodes that I have to come up with something to say, but like, you know, I don't know that wasn't a very good introspect. <laughs> It was definitely. You got me tired here at ten thirty. It definitely wasn't your your best. Um, we are starting much later than normal. I should, um, I do, what did I do that one time? A cut. Yeah, cut, uh, cut, and I actually did cut. And then you're like, "Why'd you cut?" And I was like, "You told yeah. me to." Yeah. Um, but yeah, episode twenty five. Uh, I'm Spags. Also here with Chris or Seaman or Top Shelf Duck or whatever you want to call him. Yeah. Um. TSD. <laughs> but yeah, like like you said, so we have this episode and then next week we'll so so tonight we'll get the the season finale for the simulation season and then next week we will have the the end all be all from our shortened COVID season. Um Yeah, and then it'll be you know, kind of back to the drawing board on trying to uh fill some airtime. We'll probably talk about maybe some award predictions. Um, there'll be tons of off-season talk. Um, I absolutely love the off-season for baseball, so I will have much to talk about there. Uh, yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll figure it out, man. Because the players who were going to get paid are still going to get paid. It's going to be the lesser players that like, hey, we can kind of deal without this role player, you know? Like, but like the big money for agents are going to get theirs. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm excited about it. And I'm also excited to conspiracy theory slash like dog, anything my team does that, uh, like mentions outfielders or like pitchers or whatever. So it should be a fun off season. I'm excited. I'm yeah. I, for anyone that knows me, you know, out, outside of the show, um, probably anyone that's been with us since the beginning. If like, this is your first introduction to who I am. Um, I very much think that I could do a better job than 30 of the GMs that are in the MLB, and I'm happy to let everyone know that. Um, I will talk through some crap. Um, It won't just be Yankee stuff. I will chastise a lot of people, um, and in hopes just at the right time, like maybe Brian Cashman hears me, and he's like, this guy's a genius. We could probably get him for next to nothing. We should focus our time in... On segments of uh, Spags is your new GM segment or something, and then you know we have got a bunch of teams we can go through, and you could GM their team up. Oh, I would love it. I I would need a little bit of time to prep for each one. So as long as we know going into what we're gonna do, like if it's a a division per episode or whatever the case is, um, I don't know how long it would take for me to go through a team. Like I. Yeah, I it could. I have a lot. (laughs) I have a lot to say about everything, but but I can try to condense it. So it doesn't need to be a full two hours of me talking about one team. But I mean, we could have a back and forth like one hour, like do do two teams. But I and then we're looking at like fifteen episodes. So I think if we were to do like a division an episode, a division a week, that would be pretty good. That'd give us you know fifteen twenty minutes per team, probably be enough. All you listeners out there, if you have a team you'd like us to start on, uh, you know where to hit us. That's the social medias, the gmails, the twitters. Um, step your game up. Hit us up. 
yeah, I have uh, I have my my seat selection for this blue season is Wednesday. Um, selection. I thought you already had seats. So they, <clears throat> so because I go through a guy like I have an account rep, we've kind of come to an agreement. So I have those seats reserved. But if I choose that I want to move somewhere else, um, it's like obviously with like the good news I just got with work. Um, I may look at swinging, moving back down to the lower bowl, um, but it depends on what's available and how much they are. Um, yeah, so so there, so I have that coming up. So I would imagine that you know Chris and myself will be attending some games, so we'll try to give a heads up for any Blues fans that are out there. You might be able to catch us at a game. Um, and I know we were both pretty on board with doing the the Cardinals do this like what is like thirty bucks a month for season yeah. tickets for standing room only yeah. um but bush stadium has yeah bush stadium has a couple spots that are standing room only that are actually pretty legit um like i'm when they started this and then like the budweiser terrace became a thing like i think that that's like the perfect combination of you know cheap baseball that's going to be of good quality because the cardinals usually put a pretty decent team on the field um so you get to see some quality baseball for not a whole lot of money um so you'll you'll be able to catch us, you know, at games together as well, and we'll. Yeah, thirty dollars a month is just especially to go see. Hey, well, you have to have easy access to. It. If I lived out in like the county more, like, right, it would the be. Side of the river and I probably wouldn't go right as here. much, right? I agree, but but even still, you figure if maybe it's like uh. Oh oh yeah, I have I have standing room, standing room only tickets to all these games. So like Friday night, I'm not doing anything. I'm just gonna hit up Chris, be like, hey, do you want to meet me at the game? And then we go. It's like yeah, maybe I don't go to like a Monday evening game or you know during the week or something like that. I don't go very often unless it's like a good matchup. Um, but you have the capability of going, and yeah, really for so right for for thirty yeah for thirty bucks a month if you make it to you know two games a month, you know you're talking about $15 tickets, you know, you're like, that's, that's tough to be like, you're not going to find tickets that cheap anywhere else. Like nosebleeds more expensive than that for a ball game. So, yeah, and there's always a seat to sit in if you really want to take a seat. So. Yeah. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to put it out on the air. My ideas, yeah. but mm-hmm. hit us up on the social medias and I can give you my, my inside scoop on how you can have the best baseball experience regardless of what stadium you go to in the business. That's what they call the private Snapchat. Yeah slide into our dms and we'll we'll let you know unless unless you seem like a narc if you seem like a narc i'm not gonna tell you (laughs) um but i'll say we can we can get into things like so we started a little bit later usually we start closer to nine and now it's like quarter to 11 so get out a little later hopefully this will be a quick episode or quicker episode now we (laughs) and oddly enough we got pretty heated yeah, I usually you don't. don't. Really like, like especially for an hour and a half, you're not like. Yeah, about. yeah, I'm usually like it. It was in in the political realm, and I'm usually not very big into it. Um, but yeah, we just talking, and then we had some good points, and I I feel like like everything else, I just feel like my ideas are better than everyone's. <laughs> so... Shout out Steve Perry if we need a we need a politics podcast. You know? Yeah, if you're listening, Steve, you'll will know you're listening now. So yeah, because you. You will definitely be, it'll be impossible for you to not bring this up if yeah. you listen to this, but we, we all know you won't. Um, but yeah, so simulation season update. 
um, where we last left off. Uh, Cardinals had won games, uh, games one and two over the Cleveland Indians. Um, I know Chris accidentally had it spoiled what the outcome was, but I will try to do it justice and, and bring some excitement to it. Uh, let's just say it was historical this world series in the simulation simulated season it was uh it was a big deal um i know it wasn't it wasn't real life but it they were good games i wish i could have watched them it, it would have been a very excited world it series been much better if it would have been like uh if they would have paired with mlb network and done it like the style mlb network did with uh like the the fantasy tournaments yeah, of like the best whatever. team you know whatever yeah, yeah, the yeah. dynasty leagues or whatever yeah, they did they, like they had commentators through it, like at least for like the World Series or something. Yeah, it was it definitely definitely pretty good. Um, so game three um, saw Jack Flaherty pitch for the Cardinals. Um, definitely wasn't great, but was kind of good enough to keep the Cardinals in the game. Uh, let up three runs over five plus innings, um, and then as soon as he came out, the uh, the Cardinals also got, I want to say, I think Carlos Carrascos was uh, pitching for Cleveland. Um, and uh, the Cardinals finally got to him or whoever their starter was. I forget. I could bring it up, but I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, in the bottom of the sixth, uh, just strung together a couple good at-bats. Uh, Wong singled. Um, then Edmund walked. And then Goldschmidt uh, hit an RBI double. Uh, Miller struck out, but then Bader hit, uh, hit a single. Drove in two put the Cardinals up four to three. Um, Hicks ended up blowing the lead in the eighth. Um, it was like a Lindor single. He moved to second on a wild pitch, then moved to third on a balk. Um, and then a base hit drove him in. But the Cardinals answered right back in the eighth. Um, another big hit from Edmund with leadoff double. They intentionally walked Goldschmidt. Miller singled to load the bases. Um, Bader couldn't get the big hit this time. He struck out. But then Fowler worked, I think it was like a five or six pitch walk to drive in the, the go-ahead run. Um, then DeYoung and Molina struck out to end the inning uh, with the bases loaded and one out, didn't drive in anymore. Um, but go to the ninth, Hicks let up a single, they pulled him, which was a pretty common move that like they would have their relievers, the Cardinals would have their relievers go more than one inning. And as soon as they got into trouble, they would go to another guy, which is always weird to me from uh management standpoint um it's like hicks let up a leadoff single and they immediately pulled him and went to brebbia it's like i don't know why you just wouldn't have brebbia start the inning like if it was a lefty lefty matchup or something it would make sense but brebbia and hicks are both right-handed so the matchups made no different um but brebbia came in back-to-back strikeouts easy fly out to center sealed the deal cardinals win 5-4 take a 3-0 commanding lead in the world series um I would imagine that at this point in time, plenty of people would say it's over. Only one team's ever come back from 3-0. I feel confident the Cardinals are going to win a World Series. Confident. And all. Super confident. And all, all I can let them, all I can tell you is it's not over till it's over. I've lived it. I talked so much shit through the first three games to a buddy of mine that was a Red Sox fan at the time. And I still don't let it down. Like when I when I see him, it's very rare. But when I talk to him, still, I catch shit endlessly about it. Um, and it's uh, 
it's no bueno. I don't like it. It's hard to deal with. So just <laughs> word of advice, celebrate when the series is over. Um, Cardinals should be familiar with that. I mean, they've blown a handful of three, one series leads, even some recently. Um, so I Cardinals fans probably get it, but celebrate when the series is over. Um, so game four, uh, Aaron Savali was on the mound for the, uh, for the Indians kind of had the bend, but not break mentality, uh, scattered nine hits in a walk over six and a third innings pitched, but he didn't let up a run. Um, Cardinals stranded 10 runners in game four. Uh, Miles Michaelis on the other side had a similar outing to outing to Flaherty, uh, three runs over five innings, not a bad outing, but the lack of the offense allowed Cleveland to pick up their first win. Um, Michaelis's damage was pretty much self-inflicted. It all came in the second inning. He uh, walked two guys early in the inning. Then there was a, a double from Carlos Santana to drive in two, um, and then two wild pitches um, in, against back-to-back batters, and one of them was actually Aaron Savali, so they had a runner on third after the first wild pitch. Um, again, this is normal rules, so the game was in St. Louis, so pitchers were batting, so was Savali at the plate. Michaels threw another wild pitch that allowed Santana to score. Um, and then it was a Bader double that drove in Goldschmidt in like the eighth inning off of Brad Hand. That accounted for the the lone run the Cardinals scored. But it was a 3-1 to one final. Cardinals are up 3-1 to one through four games. Head into a game five. Um, this to me is where like, like probably one of the better games that took place um, of the five that were played. Um, so... Second chance of closing out the series for the Cardinals. Uh, the Indians scored in the top of the first off Garrett Richards. Again, this is a team without Adam Wainwright for the Cardinals. They DFA'd him like way earlier in the season. Um, so Garrett Richards was really like the, you know, the in facto ace. Like I think he pitched game one and five in the series. Um, however, the Cardinals answered right back, scored four runs in the bottom of the first. Um, and the big hit being like a three run home run by Dexter Fowler. Uh, then the Cardinals added another run in the third inning on a Brad Miller solo home run. So it was, you know, four to one at that point. Um, I think, or no, uh, sorry. Fowler's home run made it four to, made it four to one. Miller's solo home run made it five to one. Um, so Indians came back a little bit. They scored two in the fifth. Um, and then heading into the ninth inning, um, the Cardinals, again, they did the, the same thing. They uh, went with Giovanni Gallegos in the eighth. He pitched the one, two, three, eighth. They sent him back out for the ninth. Um, Roberto Perez led off, hit a solo home run, which cut the lead to one. Um, and then there was a strikeout to Yu Chang, a walk to Greg Allen, and a fly out from Jose Ramirez. So you had tying run on first with two outs. Um, two, two count Francisco Lindor up. He gets a base hit that moved, uh, Greg Allen, the third. So first and third, two outs. And then on another two, two count Framil Reyes hit a single tied the game at five. So the Cardinals just couldn't hold on uh, to that. Get out of the inning. Inning goes to extra inning game goes to extra innings. Uh, no score in the 10th go to the 11th. Um, this time it was Ryan Helsley working his second inning of work. Uh, Greg Allen again doubled to lead things off. Then there was a walk to Jose Ramirez. Um, so then they pulled again. So 
Helsley got into trouble. They immediately pull him. They go to KK. Uh, Lindor singled to load the bases. A wild pitch allowed the go-ahead run to score. Kim gets out of the inning. The Indians go to Josh Fields, who turned in a 1-2-3 ninth. Sends us to a game six. Indians win game five, six, five, and 11 innings. Cardinals lead the series three to two. Really good game. Like when I was, as I was like reading through it, I was like, holy shit. Like there was a lot of scoring opportunities that were missed, stuff like that. Uh, so game six saw, you know, the, the buzz saw that is Shane Bieber that knocked the Yankees out in the ALCS with his stellar performance there pitching for the Indians. Cardinals had already seen him once in the series and they roughed him up. Game six, no different. Jumped all over him. Cardinals score four runs in the first again. Uh, same thing they did in game five. Uh, it was a Goldschmidt three-run home run. So, like, the first three batters reached. I think it was, like, um, like a double from Edmund, a walk from Long, and then the three-run home run by Goldschmidt. I think Bieber threw something like ten pitches, and it was three to nothing Cardinals. Um, and then Matt Carpenter hit a solo home run later in the inning, made it four to nothing. Uh, Carlos Martinez pitching for the Cardinals uh, promptly gave up the lead and then more. Uh, the Indians scored three in the first, scored four more in the second, added another run in the third and another run in the fifth. Uh, Bieber kind of corrected course, ended up pitching six innings, didn't really give up anything after that first. Um, then they handed the ball over in an interesting move. They went to Mike Clevenger out of the bullpen and Clevenger actually started game five. Um, and gave up, you know, the four runs in the first, and they pulled him. So he only pitched one uh, one inning in game five. Then there's a day off, and then they came back to him out of the bullpen on the, the short pitch count, you know, that he had in the in this previous outing. And he actually pitched the final three innings uh, for the Indians, um, and he retired all nine batters that he faced. So just cruise control. After the first inning, Indians didn't let up another run. Tacked on a whole bunch. I think Martinez accounted for like seven or eight of the runs let up. Um, nine four, Cleveland wins, and we're going to Game Seven. You know, so the second time ever that a team was down 3-0 and came back to tie a series. Obviously, that that's no longer the case given what happened in real life in 2020 with Tampa Bay and Houston. But if this had happened in place of the 2020 season, it just would have been the second time ever that a team forced a game seven in a best of seven when down 3-0. Um, so with no Adam Wainwright, Chris, who would you have picked to take the ball for game seven for the Cardinals? I mean, I'm taking Jack Flaherty. And that's who the Cardinals went with. Jack Flaherty taking the ball. Decisive that's game seven. Yeah, I, I, I think it really says a lot about, like, what kind of future he will have with the Cardinals, that he's that big game pitcher. Um, it, it It's one of those weird scenarios, like, I don't know how much they went into shifting around. Like, I feel like Flaherty started game one and five against the Dodgers, and then they, they won that series, and they didn't want to have it be such a long time in between starts. So Flaherty didn't pitch again until game three in the world series. Um, but I could be wrong. I, I would have to go back and look at it. So I feel like that was one of those scenarios where like the simulation was just like, okay, well, well, these other guys are going to be up first, like Flaherty pitch game five. So we're going to have these other guys pitch, you know, 
start first and then we'll go to Flaherty. Whereas like if the days off lined up, you know, he might've started, um, both LCSs only went five games though. So there might've only been a handful of days off between the, the two series. Um, but it would have been like, they would have had at least three days cause you would have accounted for a travel day in between five games, five and six in the LCS, then game six, game seven, and then at least one day off. So it would have been like normal rest that he could have went on in game one again, but he didn't for some reason. Um, so we'll see. I, and I could have sworn he pitched game one and five, but I could be wrong about that. Either way, he gets the ball going against Carlos Carrascos again. Uh, same matchup as game three. Um, Carrasco's trying to build his comeback player of the year case uh, since, you know, he battled leukemia through the 2019 season. Um, Cardinals did what we always talk about wanting them to do to manufacture runs. So Edmund singled in the first, stole second, advanced to third on a wild pitch, uh, which there were tons of wild pitches in the series. Um, then Goldschmidt grounded out, drove Edmund in, giving the Cardinals a one nothing lead in the first. Um, Flaherty got into trouble early. Uh, Greg Allen walked on four pitches. Uh, Tyler Naquin singled, making it first and third. Uh, Ramirez, Jose Ramirez flew out. They didn't score the run. But then Lindor hit a three-run shot, putting Cleveland up three to one after one. Um, top of the second, Bader and Carpenter were both retired pretty quickly. I think it was like five pitches total. But then there's a two-out single from DeYoung. And then a two-run home run from Fowler to follow that, uh, which tied the game three, going to the bottom of the second. Um, game remained tied for just a short period of time. Uh, Cleveland didn't score in the bottom of the second. St. Louis didn't score in the top of the third. Uh, but there was a, uh, <clears throat> a walk, an air, a wild pitch, and a single that led to two runs for Cleveland. It's like first guy walked. Second guy reached on an air, wild pitch advanced both runners, um, and then a single drove in both runs. Um, so Cleveland went up five to three. Uh, things quieted down for a while till Michaelis allowed three singles. He came into pitch and relief. Uh, he let up three singles in the bottom of the sixth, which led to another Cleveland run, extended the lead to six to three. Um, score held there till we get to the eighth inning, in which case Molina singled to lead off an inning. Uh, then Wong hit into a double play, so two outs, nobody on. Um, but Edmund works a big walk, and then Goldschmidt doubled on the first pitch, which scored Edmund, cutting the lead 6-4. to four. Um, And then Brad Miller struck out to end the eighth. Uh, they go to Dakota Hudson, another starter pitching out of the bullpen for the Cardinals. Uh, yeah, pitched a, a three-up, three-down bottom of the eighth. So heading into the ninth, Cardinals trail 6-4. Uh season on the line, trying not to blow the 3-0 series lead. Um, Bader walks to lead off the inning, and then your boy, Rangel Ravello, he doubles, uh, moving Bader to third. So second and third, uh, no outs. And you have uh, DeYoung, then Fowler, then Molina do up. Um, you get DeYoung to strike out. Fowler falls then behind 0-2, then gets hit by a pitch to load the bases. All right, <laughs> so now you got winning run on or the go-ahead run on base, tying run on second. You know, and Ravel's got some decent speed. Uh, Molina grounds out on a 3-1 pitch. Um, it doesn't show location, so I don't know where it was. Um, 
but grounded out on a 3-1 pitch. Questionable, you know, decision there. Uh, Molina's usually a pretty good two-strike hitter. Uh, you know, maybe you work a walk there. Uh, he did avoid the double play, uh, and it drove in Bader. Um, I believe they got the force at second, so it put Ravello on third, Molina on first, Colton Wong batting, two outs. Uh, Cardinals down, 6-5. Uh, Emmanuel Clace was on the mound for Cleveland. Uh, came up with a huge performance, close out the game, strikes out Colton Wong to end the game, leaving the tying run on third. Miracle comeback's complete. Down 3-0 in the World Series. Cleveland comes back and wins the World Series in seven games. And the Indians are the World Series champs in the simulated season. 6-5 final. Yeah. But... Like so, so with it being with it being fake, you know, like it's just simulated, whatever, and you know, being pretty butthurt that the Yankees just shit the bed and completely disappeared in the ALCS. Like I, like I, I don't want to say like I'm I'm happy with the outcome. I'm happy that it was a good series. Like even if the Cardinals would have swept, let's say, or say like the Cardinals win Game Five in extras, like I. I can't be mad about that. Like the first two games were pretty close games, pretty well played. Um, yeah, like Cardinals won five to two and four to two, um, kind of behind like good pitching performances um, from the Cardinals starters, and then they win a close one five four that was back and forth. Um, you know, so then it, like even Cleveland, like okay, like they get the win with a big gutsy performance from Savali. You know, who's kind of like the the guy you don't think of in their rotation. Um, so even if the Cardinals would have won it in five, I felt like it would have been a pretty enjoyable World Series. But for the comeback to come all the way, or even if the Cardinals win it, like as each game went on, if the Cardinals, you know, pulled off a win at any point as well, like whether they won game six or if the Cardinals come back and win game seven, you know, whatever, send it to extras. Like there's a couple things that could have made it like more historic. But I feel like this is would have been a really entertaining World Series to watch. Like being a friend of yours, it probably it probably would have been unbearable for both of us. Um, because I've caught so much shit from people about 2004 in the city mm-hmm. <laughs> that it, I would never I like 04 wouldn't matter anymore because I would just have 2020 in my back pocket. Um, so it would have been nice if that were real life, but I would also be really butthurt that the Yankees had as a great of a season as they did and then completely, you know, played true to my predictions where Shane Bieber would just shut down the Yankee offense, which is exactly what happened in the simulated season. So I would have been so mad about it not being Cardinals Yankees. Um, you know, it would have been great to see the Dodgers lose with their 121 win season and then getting manhandled by the Cardinals in five in the NLCS. That would have been fun to see. Um, big reason why I was okay with the Rays winning this World Series. But like I said, I would have been butthurt it wasn't Yankees. But this World Series would have been very enjoyable to watch. Like it, it was seven pretty good games, um, a handful of great games. Like game six was pretty meh. Um, the first inning would have been really exciting, you know, seven runs combined in the first inning between the two teams. And then like Cleveland just continued to pour it on and St. Louis's offense fell apart. Uh, where have you heard that before? 
<laughs> a lot throughout the season. Um, but yeah, so two games. So so it's cool. It'll actually be interesting. Like I I think it would be entertaining if Baseball Reference continued to do something like this alongside of um, the regular season. Um, I would probably tune in, maybe not to the same level in which we did here, because really we bought into it uh, when they, um, right, when we didn't know there was going to be a season, it's like there wasn't real baseball going on. Um, I will say the the one thing I'll probably still do just briefly next week is we'll just kind of look back. I know like kind of mid-season we talked about like MVP Cy Young within our teams, like the Cardinals and Yankees. Yeah, so we'll look at some stats and see how, where guys finished up. I'm, I'm not going to go through stuff right now tonight because I don't have any of it in front of me, but we can try to prepare that for for next week since we'll only have one or two actual baseball games to talk about. Um, so we'll see. And hopefully hopefully those two games – yeah, hopefully those two games are as, as much fun to talk about as the, the five we have to get into tonight. Um, yeah, so – with that, the end of the simulation season, we can get into our World Series update. Um, and I will say I'm fairly confident in my prediction still um, of Dodgers in seven. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be hard for the Rays to win, obviously. For sure not, because you got to win back-to-back games. But um, I, I mean, it's going to be... It was gonna be a long shot. They're playing a good series, though. Like they're keeping, they're staying in there. So I, I definitely picked the long shot winner, and I'm, I'm glad they have at least just held their own in it, um, because they could have been out of it a while ago. But for sure, and and in in all honesty, like I think that the Dodgers are up three two in this series, in spite of the managerial style of Dave Roberts, because I feel like he's kind of responsible for why they're in the the position that they are um but that that's just my take um obviously like as we were talking through what we were anticipating we had made note that it's going to be kind of like that monster dodgers offense versus the top end pitching that the rays have um and it'll be interesting to see who kind of plays out because neither team had faced a team of the other the other the strength of the other team of that quality like the Dodgers didn't really face any team with the type of pitching that Tampa Bay has and Tampa Bay I you could say the Yankees have a pretty big offense um but it was more so like the I I I think that the Yankees were far streakier than the Dodgers were and I think like that just shows and like the run production that they had throughout the year uh, so I want to say I think the Dodgers like outscored the Yankees by like I don't I don't know forty runs or so, yeah. Um, which doesn't seem like a whole lot in 162 games, but in 60 games it's it's quite a bit. Um, yeah, I think it was like 37 runs, something like that, or 34 runs. So about half a run a game. Um, granted, the the Yankees were not healthy, of course, all season. So who knows? I mean, you just got to deal with when you're a Yankee, though. Yeah, that's just par for the course lately. Um, <clears throat> but, but we'll see. So, and a lot of times when Tampa Bay faced New York, New York was not healthy. They were relatively healthy for the division series. 
Um, I personally think if that series is seven games, it probably ended in six with Tampa Bay winning. Um, so I just Yankees are Yankees are missing another starting pitcher. Um, and that could have been Paxton. Obviously him, him being hurt made a difference, but he hadn't pitched that great this year anyway. Either way, we're going to talk about the World Series. I'm not going to drag on about how upset I am about my Yankees being shit against the Rays. <laughs> um, but it's like we were talking about, it was really going to be, to me, the the big thing would be, can the Rays beat Kershaw and Bueller? Um, after that, like, you know, as you see, like the two other starts right now were from Gonsolin as like a bullpen start from L.A. And then Julio Urias, who's been a stud in the postseason for the Dodgers. <clears throat> so it's like, but if you know in a, in a in a seven game series, if it goes seven games, you're going to have to beat Kershaw or Bueller at least once, because if you don't, that's four wins for L.A. and you lose the series. So game one, they couldn't figure out Kershaw at all. Um, six innings, let up two hits, let up one run. Um, yeah, I give the guy a lot of shit, but Kershaw's pitched pretty well. Yeah, like it was just the, the home run to Kiermaier in the fifth that Kershaw let up. Came out, pitched real strong in the sixth. So six innings, you know, whatever. Um, for For me, the big thing, though where I thought it was interesting is what the Dodgers lack is middle relief. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I think a big part of this is the fact that after they, like, they were up, you know, like Kershaw let up the home run, made it two to one LA at the time. Dodgers tack on four runs in the bottom of the fifth. Kershaw gets through the sixth. Dodgers tack on two more. So at that point, it's eight to one. And this is where I say that, like, I think the Dodgers are winning in spite of Roberts. So Kershaw's at 78 pitches, and you make the decision to pull him, being up by seven, saving him for I don't know what. Like, you weren't going to come back with him in game four. He was going to pitch on normal rest in game five. Um, I get he's had some injuries, but your middle relief is terrible. They suck. So he goes to... um, I can't think of his first name. Uh, Dylan Floro gets one out, gives up two runs, and you got to pull him, you know, and, and go to another guy. Um, and then, so uh, that guy, uh, Gonzalez, uh, Victor Gonzalez, gets out of the inning. But he also gave up two hits, and Tampa Bay stranded some runners. Uh, Baez performed well, um, and then they went to Joe Kelly. It's like you avoided. Jansen, you didn't use any of your big guys, but you used four of your middle relievers when you had Kershaw at 78 pitches through six innings and a seven-run lead. Like, you could give Kershaw a longer leash. I don't know why you're trying to do anything to get cute. Like, minimize the exposure for your middle relief because that's where Tampa Bay is going to beat you. Yeah, especially when you're starter, like, you're highly paid, highly respected, yeah. huge numbers is not doesn't have a very high pitch. yeah like this is it's, you're supposed to let him pitch yeah Garrett, put it this way like garrett cole adam wainwright uh justin verlander like those guys aren't coming out of a world series game at 78 pitches ever not it's not gonna happen 
shouldn't even be a question. You shouldn't even have a guy throwing unless he's like in serious trouble. Yeah. You know, but if he makes it out of the inning, it's still his. You know, like it, there's a couple guys I agree that just demand that, and Clayton Kershaw is obviously going to be on that list. Right. So, game two. Um, on Tampa Bay played a great game. Uh, they win six to four. The pitching was there. Um, unfortunately for me, the big the big takeaway from game one is Todd Titchener. Um, and it is where I'm going to live and die on the hill of umpire scorecards have some things wrong with what they have going on. Yeah. So, um, for everyone not familiar, Chris and I stumbled across this umpire scorecards that they do their thing on Twitter. And basically it depicts the overall accuracy based on where like the, the MLB data. Yeah, it's so like where the ball was placed in terms of like an access point. Yeah, like like an XY axis point and where the strike zone should be and then it dots that and essentially like if anywhere on the circle touches the line that is the strike zone, they they consider it a called strike. I can I can get behind that if this is what you're going to utilize for comparing one to the other. The problem I have with it is the run expectancy that they have severely downplays the prominence of how thi- like what the outcome of said call is. So like for example, Todd Titchener, who's behind the plate for game two, he got eighty nine percent overall accuracy, ninety eight percent for outside the zone accuracy. He called eighty four of eighty six true balls correctly. Um, one was way off the plate, both directions, the inside zone accuracy. He got 43 of 57 calls, right? Which is 75%. So one fourth of the time when it was to be called a strike, he called it a ball of those 12 calls. He missed 10 of them are at the bottom of the strike zone. So he wasn't given the low strike at all, you know, so you could argue, okay, at least it was consistent. This is where it was at. And then they talk about the three worst missed calls that they have, and it's in terms of change and run expectancy. So all three calls that they say are the worst, in my opinion, were relatively irrelevant. So the first one was a 3-1 count where a strike was called a ball, so it walked a guy, but there were zero outs and the bases were empty. Um, this was That was L.A. pitching to Tampa Bay. In the top of the sixth, there were zero outs with the bases empty, a one-two count, a strike is called the ball. So it should have struck the guy out. Instead, it was called the ball, so the, the at-bat continued. But again, I, I don't know the outcome of the at-bat off the top of my head. And then the third example they have was in the bottom of the second. Uh, no outs, runner on first, 0-0 count, a strike is called the ball. So it put the batter up 1-0 instead of behind 0-1. The impact of missed calls that they say is that the run expectancy for L.A. was increased by 0.76 runs. Tampa Bay's run expectancy was increased by 0.64 runs. So the net was 0.12, 0.12 expected runs in favor of the Dodgers. 
So that's just looking at it from a data standpoint and not taking into consideration anything else, which is why I don't like just the cut and dry nature of what they what they build. Um, and so this is like what I was talking about when I threw on our agenda, talk about Todd Titchener. Yeah. So, so there's an article that was written and they actually refer to umpire scorecards in there and they use that to build their example. So what they're essentially building up is that Blake Snell had a no hitter in the world series until the umpire ruined it is the title of the article. So there's a section that they have that says the moment that mattered. And again, this point isn't any of the calls that they talked about in terms of the biggest missed calls. So, and then I'll just, I'll read a, a quick insert here with, with what they have. So just reading from the article. So two outs in the fifth inning, Enrique Hernandez stepped up to the plate to face a dominating Snell. Snell had just carved through A.J. Pollock with ease and looked to complete his fifth inning on the mound. The first pitch Snell used against Hernandez was a changeup that dropped well off the outside edge of the plate and below the zone, falling behind in the count 1-0. Snell stuck with the changeup for the next pitch and threw it in a perfect spot, locating it perfectly at the bottom of the zone. Unfortunately, it would be called a ball, thus falling behind 2-0. Snell finally got a strike with another change that came across the outside or possibly just outside the zone. Nevertheless, it was called a strike, 2-1 count. With his next offering, Snell is able to perfectly locate a curveball dropping right on the top of the zone. Unfortunately, the top of the zone seemingly disappeared in the eyes of home plate umpire Todd Titchener as he called the perfectly executed curveball a ball 3-1. Over the course of the night, there were 44 pitches that came across the top of the standard strike zone. Three of those were called a ball, including this offering by Snell. Here's that full sequence getting Snell to a 3-1 count, and then they have a video of that. Um, then Snell just straight up lost Hernandez rather than give him a solid 3-1 offering to hit as he missed low and inside, well off the plate, walking Hernandez. Next up was Chris Taylor, who Snell started off with a fastball right down the middle. His next pitch was another perfectly loaded, uh, perfectly located changeup at the bottom of the zone that Titchener again decided was too low and called it for a ball. Snell missed badly to make it a 2-1 uh, count a pitch later. He still wasn't going to give in to Taylor, though, and on the 2-1 pitch, Snell looked to drop in a curveball with the hopes of evening up the count or possibly to induce weak contact as he threw it off the plate. Unfortunately, Taylor was able to stay back on the breaking pitch. Uh, so 3-1. Taylor reached out and barreled the ball and sent it soaring to the opposite field. Um, oh, sorry. He, it wasn't a ball. He swung at it. This is the one he hit. So as it broke over the outside edge of the plate or possibly beyond it, Taylor reached out, barreled the ball, and sent it soaring to the opposite field, landing just beyond the wall and right center field for a two-run home run, the first hit given up on Snell during the game. Also resulted in Snell being pulled from that game because he only pitched four and two-thirds innings. So in a situation where run expectancy for a walk with two outs is pretty low, it led to another bat, more pitches, and a two-run home run for a, an account that the guy should have been, that Snell should have been well ahead on missed calls. So, so that's the, the aspect that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't agree there might not be something wrong, but I, it's probably the way we understand the way they're looking at it. Right. You know? I, and it, it, so to me, it's just like when they say like it's based on run expectancy. Well, yeah, walking a guy with zero outs to start off an inning is likely going to lead to a run more often than walking a guy with two outs because just an out anywhere gets you out of the inning. 
So the run expectancy of a leadoff guy getting on versus a guy getting on with two outs is likely much higher. But I think that there's a mentality change that does like changes things significantly. Like being like pitching, you know, through high school, like there is a like a concept that at a competitive level, like when you execute and the umpire misses a call, like your focus changes. Like maybe you're in your head a little bit. Like it yep, Snell's one of the better pitchers in the game. He's a professional, should be able to shake that off, but still you just expect a strike to be called a strike. And when you aren't getting those calls, it makes it easy to make a mistake. Um, they talked about it a lot, like in the Atlanta series versus LA, um, that the strike zone was like really small for Atlanta or for LA in comparison to Atlanta and the early games in the series. So it was like, um, and then it was vice versa in the last three games. So like, there were a lot of jokes where it was like, here's the strike zone. Here's the box that Atlanta has to throw the ball to get a called strike. Um, obviously exaggerated, but it, it changes things. It gets frustrating. So to say that a one out walk or a, a leadoff walk is more likely to lead to a run than a two out walk well, a lot of that changes. Was your leadoff walk with someone that has a like? And I, I get they don't take this into consideration, and we've even said that when we saw it, like they don't they don't consider who's up, who it was that got walked, none of that. But all of that changes everything. Like it's way different. Like did you walk a guy with two outs to face Paul Goldschmidt, or did you walk a guy with two outs to face a pitcher? You know. But, the, but also, whenever you walk somebody, you're like your chances now of a double play. Is pretty right, but and, as a Cardinals fan, it's pretty high. So right, like you know, like is it is it someone that has you know a high ground ball rate versus the guy that's a home run hitter? Like, did you is it Brett Gardner that's up now? Is it Brett Gardner that you walked and now maybe he could steal or like Bader or you know Edmund or someone that can run for the Cardinals? Like, is that your leadoff walk or was it Molina who isn't going anywhere? You know, like. It's like the the who you walk, the what it is like, that makes a difference, you know. And then he didn't get a call, and Taylor put a good swing on the bat, you know, or put a good swing on the ball, and hit the home run, and you know, scored two runs. Granted, at that point, like it was it was five nothing going into that inning, so it made it five two. But now you you chased Snell, who hadn't given up any run like hadn't given up a hit until that home run um you know so Yadio Merlina has 66 stolen bases in his career I'm not saying he can't steal but how many of those stolen bases have come in the last three years Mm, well none in 2020 (laughs) six in 2019 four in 2018 uh and nine in 2017 all right so his most was 12 in 2012. So really... That so it's pretty pretty spread out then. Yeah, like 9 in 29 in 2009, 8 in 2010. I'm saying he's not... Like 1 in 3. So. He's not very fast, and he's getting up there in age. So I would assume he's probably not going to run, but... That might have had it. That might have been the most... <laughs> it might have. I, I, I will revoke my statement. And I name someone that's not Molina. Paul Goldschmidt. He doesn't steal. <laughs> Molina, he's sneaky fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's just. I will say that Molina's a pretty good base runner. Like he, he's just. 
heads up when it comes to base. Like, I think a lot of his steals are, like, legit stolen bases. Where you think of guys like Billy Hamilton, that they just steal bases because they're fast. And, yeah. like, Molina just straight up steals second. Like, right. he has no business going to second, he but he yeah, does. Everything that could happen, and uh, they don't even, they're not even thinking that I yeah. can steal the base right like, now. Like, Mo- so, Molina yeah. does, like, the little kid, like, I'm going to wander off first, like, I'm not paying attention, and then I'm going to book it to second. Like right. some, something along those lines, but so so that's all I'm saying is like I I think that it is more impactful than where it's at. Like I don't know, like I I also don't agree with the concept that if any part of the ball touches the strike the line, it's a strike. I would prefer it to be you know, like I prefer it to be different. Like maybe like more than fifty percent over or something along those lines. Um, I know when we talked about it, it was like a harder call for an, um, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, I, I agree. At some point, most of the time you're probably pretty sure, but there's guaranteed calls where you're like, we'll see. Yeah. Like of, of the three that they point out, like number, like one of them, like the ball's almost completely in the strike zone and the other two are almost completely out of the strike zone. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the calls that were missed at the bottom of the strike zone, like, one, two, three, four, five. So I'd argue half of the calls he missed at the bottom of the strike zone, the ball's a good like ninety percent, ninety five percent outside of the zone. Um, so I can get behind those being um those being called balls. And again, at least he was consistent. Like he wasn't he wasn't calling, you know, occasionally he was calling a low strike it just seems like he wasn't giving the low strike really. Um, it also doesn't show was like who was pitching, you know, or anything like that. It's like, was it that he just wasn't calling the low strike? Like I'm, I would like to see like how many, like where he called other pitches that were strikes as well. So like to see the other side of it. So the, the 43 calls you're saying he got right in the strike zone, where were those located? Um, like I, it's like there's, we don't have that information right in front of us, but I would imagine at the MLB level they do have that. I just hope that they take this information since obviously it's available, um, and they coach the umpires based on that, or like there's some repercussion, something along those lines. I didn't, uh, but either way, I I think it, yeah, yeah. I the the MLB did lose something like three billion dollars in 2020. Yeah, I've read that article earlier. Yeah. That's a lot of money, but, you know, they still made money. So it's like, like I, I know we've said it, we both said it plenty of times before. It's to say that they lost $3 billion is bullshit. Like what they should say is like, we made 4 billion instead of making seven. Like you didn't lose money. You still made a shit ton of money. Like get the fuck out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Like I would love, I would love to like. Yeah, like, or or when I got on you about uh, Trevor May bitching on his stream, well, not really bitching, I just viewed it as bitching, but when he made the comment that they got, like, a third of their pay and he was still in the highest tax bracket, and I was like, oh, boo-hoo, like, get, get the fuck out of here, that you made a third of what you should have made, and you still made, like, four times what I make in a year. Fuck off. You know, which I get wasn't, it wasn't the point, it's just how I took it. Um, And then you you corrected me that you're like, you're kind of being hard on this dude and it wasn't really like that and i was still like ah fuck him dude you're gonna be salty on a dude that was just trying to open up <laughs> yeah, yeah like be, being real about the reality of things trying to do and here we are like 
go get your money, go get yours. But then we're also supposed to be in the same term, be like, fuck those guys. Money. <laughs> See, I don't think they make too much money. Just don't bitch about it. Don't don't bitch about making less money. I'd be like, oh man, I only made a million dollars on that deal instead of one point five. Like, all right, dude. Like, sorry for you. It's hard for me to feel bad for you when that's like ten years of me working. In the words of 50 Cent, I ain't trying to be 20 Cent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I get it. You know, get theirs. Just don't don't cry about it. You know, when you make more than 90% of America, just don't cry about it. And again, like you said, he, he wasn't he wasn't crying about it. Twitch, please sub to Trevor, man. Yeah, I, I get it. Like you said, he wasn't crying about it, but that's how I took it initially, and I was not you happy think, about it. You think like a Trevor May or like Snell have like a uh, you win the uh, World Series, I'll gift you a hundred subs or anything deal going on? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I I wouldn't see why not. That's the other thing. It's like I they both have pretty successful streams. It's so like when we talk about like the money that they make, that's really just the money that we know about that they get paid from their MLB contract. Yeah. Like I, who knows how much money like an endorsement Snell makes. You know, like his, his Twitch stream brings in like he's got a couple hundred viewers every time he's playing. Like I'm assuming that people sub to that and he's yeah. making money off that. Like There's he time streaming to just constantly have his viewer count right like and he just right and he just occasionally does it now granted his other job is like probably i I don't know maybe it's probably 40 hours a week that he puts in with practice and working out and shit like that but i would imagine these other guys also work out and whatnot like i i don't know how demanding it is to be a professional starting pitcher but he's pretty good at what he does so I'm assuming he puts in work. I don't. I don't want to shit on his work ethic, but he probably works harder than I do. You're just hoping they don't. You're just hoping they hear it and you're not caught on uh, a recording telling them they suck. Dude, if I could get, if I could get us into some kind of Twitter beef with a professional athlete, it could be Derek Jeter, and I'd do it. <laughs> Whatever, I, dude. Uh, I added. I tweeted while you were talking about uh, the Cardinals losing the World Series. Because all I could also think about was like, you know, imagine they don't drop Adam Wainwright. Like, the, you know, when you only lose a World Series by one game, you probably start wondering, oh, man, did we get rid of this pitcher? Is that a good idea? So I added uh, Uncle Charlie 50. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, imagine, imagine uh, the Cardinals don't get rid of Adam Wainwright. Yeah, would they win? So, yeah. We'll see if he responds. That's awesome. I hope he does. That's great. Uh, I feel like he. I feel like if he sees it, he might be like, "What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? What do you mean they dropped me? <laughs> what do you mean they dropped me? And no one signed me? That's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, the simulated yeah. season's bullshit. Right here, I am. I'm getting paid right now. So, so it's also worth noting. So his numbers definitely weren't that good, but I think a bigger reason with why Wainwright didn't sign anywhere is they had uh, injuries turned off. I think I said that last week too. But in terms of that, it's like there wasn't a team that got like decimated by losing a couple starting pitchers and they really needed an arm. Like it's so it's not that like Adam Wainwright wasn't even good enough to be picked up. It's just that the market for looking for a starting pitcher was far, far less needed. Um, And that's also why I think that like they weren't able to find any kind of like trade deal or anything along those lines, Uh, just because teams probably didn't have a high need for starting pitching. 
Um, but so anyway, I I don't know. I I don't think Titchener played a big part in the outcome of the game. Like I said, like at the point in time that like the blown calls really made an impact, it was just a situation where it forced Tampa Bay to go to their bullpen in the fifth inning. Which don't get me wrong, they have a phenomenal bullpen. Um, but like because they they had to get that extra out, they had to go in. Like if Snell gets through the fifth with still a no hitter, there's a strong possibility he comes back out for the sixth. Um, the Rays tacked on another run in the sixth, so maybe at that point it's six to nothing. Um, you know, and like they they don't have to go into a situation where like. They went to Nick Anderson for one-plus innings. Then Fairbanks pitched one-plus innings. Then they had Aaron Loop come in. Um, so it was like an inning that they weren't expecting Loop to need to pitch. Maybe they're able to avoid that. Maybe Snell pitches into the sixth or seventh. Don't know. His pitch count was a little higher. It was at 88 pitches when they pulled him. So maybe not that great. But they the Rays did what they needed to do. So Gonsolin starting on the other side was like a bullpen start. He only went one and a third innings. And then they used Floro again, Victor Gonzalez, uh Dustin May came in and pitched. They used Joe Kelly. They used Alex Wood. Um I think this is um Jake McGee. I think he used to pitch for Tampa Bay. Um so then they, they went to him. So, like, they pieced together, what is that, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pitchers to get through the nine innings, um, and the Dodgers were held to five hits. Granted, they scored four runs on those five hits, um, and they struck out 15 times. I think that that is, you know, so with, with Snell on the mound in that game, with Glassnell on the mound, like, uh, he got hit around early, Dodgers scored eight runs on ten hits, it's like they're they're still efficient, you know, when they when they hit the ball. Um and they've been doing a ton of damage with two outs, which is crazy. Like I think like sixty percent of the runs in the postseason have come with two outs. But it but that uh tied up the series, obviously one game apiece. And then it came back to so now now the the Dodgers have Walker Bueller going. Um they couldn't hit Kershaw. So all right, if you can beat Bueller, you take a you take a big advantage in in the series. Uh, Bueller goes six innings, gives up three hits, one run, strikes out ten, throws a gem, uh, handed off to the back end of their bullpen, um, and then they hit around Morton. The Dodgers did. They scored run in the first, two in the third, two in the fourth. So just very comfortable, you know, start to finish. Dodgers held the lead. Morton didn't get the job done. Dodgers win game three, six to two. So now the shoe goes on the other foot, you know, like we talked about, like what, who's going to step up and have that big outing. Is it going to be the, like the Randy Rosarena's like having a big game that allows them to beat Kershaw or Bueller, or is it going to be, you know, Urias or a bullpen start that the Dodgers are going to have, you know, to, to make things happen. Um, that should have been, that should have been game four, should have been that, that deciding factor. Um, they got four and two thirds innings uh, from Urias. The Dodgers did um, outlasted Yarbrough and both teams kind of got into their bullpen. But I think that this is where that 
over management, over exposure type thing comes into play from Roberts. Wanting to be part of the game. Yeah, so they have like they go to to Blake Trennan early. Um, he gives up two runs. Um, they go to Pedro Baez. They try to get multiple innings out of him. He gives up two runs. Dodgers are back and forth. Like, I think game four was easily the, the best game of the series so far. Um, like, Dodgers were up two to nothing. Tampa makes two to one. They both score a run in the fifth. Dodgers score a run again in the sixth. Tampa Bay scores three in the bottom of the sixth. The Dodgers score two in the top of the seventh. Tampa Bay scores one in the bottom of the seventh. L.A. scores one in the top of the eighth. It's just back and forth. Lead changes, ties all over the place. And then the game ends on the craziest play I think I've ever seen. <laughs> and again, and again, it comes from mismanaging a situation, in my opinion. So they had uh, Bellinger DHing. So he wasn't out in center field. You had AJ Pollock in center field. And in the ninth, so let, let me let me see this. I just want to make sure I'm right on this. So in the eighth, the last out was made by our Tampa Bay was our LA was the home team. So Chris Taylor makes the last out in in the top of the ninth. So you're going into a situation where you have nine one two due up. You had pinch hit for AJ Pollock with uh, with Jock Peterson. They could have been in a scenario where they just pull Taylor, move Bellinger to center field. You have your pitcher spot come in in the A slot, so you give up your DH, so Bellinger can come into the field. And your defense stays significantly better. Um, or you, if you think Taylor's the better defender, then you just put your pitcher in for, for Peterson, like in that slot, and you have Bellinger become the center fielder. So Pollock, uh, AJ Pollock got pinch hit for, and then Bellinger comes into play center field, and the pitcher takes the number seven spot, which would have been due up eighth, if the game went to extras, you know, whatever. So you're, you're looking at getting a couple innings at least before you have to start worrying about pinch hitting and stuff like that. And pinch hitting for your pitcher is NL baseball. So you're going to be able to do that anyway, whatever, not the end of the world. So keeps Peterson in, moves Peterson to left. They shift Taylor over to center field and madness ensues. Um, if you haven't watched the replay, you should. Um, so first guy strikes out, Kiermaier singles on a fly ball to center. Um, Wendell lines out. So two outs runner on third. Um, Arosa Reyna works a tough walk, seven pitches, draws a walk off Jansen. Uh, so first and second, two outs. So Brett Phillips singles on a line drive to center fielder. Kiermaier scores easily. He's got a ton of speed, and the ball is hit, like, in the right center gap. But then um, Chris Taylor boots the ball 
when it gets booted, they send a Rosarena to try to score him. He's dead at the plate by four steps. And uh, Will Smith, not the Fresh Prince, but the catcher for the Dodgers, fails to catch the ball <laughs> as he tried to do a quick swipe tag, not realizing that a Rosarena fell running home. So he, he probably would have been out even if he didn't fall, and Will Smith catches the ball. When he did fall, Smith had all the time in the world to just easily catch the ball and simply tag a Rosarena out, and it's going extra innings. My, my opinion is that that doesn't happen if Taylor isn't in center field, who's normally a corner outfielder or a second baseman. Like, he mainly plays the infield. You moved him out to center field because he was the better option than Peterson being in center field. Um, well, So Taylor was already playing outfield, and you switched the two of them because Taylor was the better defensive option than Peterson. But the best defensive option would have been putting Bellinger into center field. Um, and I don't know why he didn't go that route if the best defense is what you want to try to put together. Um, but either way, crazy finish. Tampa Bay walks it off. They win 8-7. Steal a win in game four. That, to me, was like, okay, we got away with one. We're, we're back where we should have been. You know, like, we somehow managed to cancel out the good start that they got from Urias. We got past the fact that our bullpen kind of fell apart because, you know, um, Yarbrough only pitched into the fourth inning. Um, and at that point, like the Dodgers had only scored two runs. So Tampa Bay's bullpen let up five runs in that game. They let up a run in the fifth, at least one run in the fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth. So just 15 hits all over the place, um, where things were bad. Um, and if it wasn't for the two errors on the same play, you know, who, who knows what happens? The game's at least tied and it's going to extras. But the two airs allow Tampa Bay to win the game. So then you go, okay, we're back at square one. Now it's a best of three, and you know you're getting Kershaw a game, and you know you're getting Walker Bueller a game, and you know the game in between, Blake Snell's pitching. Snell's probably been Tampa Bay's most consistent starter. His big issue is that he doesn't pitch very efficiently, so he doesn't pitch past the fifth inning very often. Um, but that's why they have the bullpen set up that they do. It works well for him. It's it's going to be a good combination, but you find yourself where, okay, if we win game six, you know, cause we know two, two, you know, there's at least going to be a game six. You got to win game five or you have to win game seven or the three wins you got don't mean anything. Like no one talks about like, well, at least we lost the world series in seven. Like no, no one gives a shit about that. Yeah. No one's saying that. Yeah. So it's, it finds you right back in the same situation. And so where we thought Kershaw big start in game one to kind of set the tone. Well, now you're like, okay, is this one Clayton Kershaw shows up and has his shit bum performance and it's going to cost the Dodgers in a big way. So I think he looked pretty dominant. Like he gave up a couple, a couple more hits. He let up five hits and five and two thirds innings. Uh, gave up two runs. He walked two guys. So definitely wasn't as sharp as what he was in game one. But 
another scenario where Roberts pulls him at 85 pitches where now you're like, okay, got to go to our, our middle relief and our bullpen was just atrocious so far this series. Like they let up all kinds of runs. Like they let up all six runs in game, uh, game two. They gave up, uh, two of the three runs in game one. Um, they let up, uh, I think, uh, one of the two runs in game three. Yeah, just the Rosarena home run in the ninth. And then they gave up six of the eight runs in game four. And they just got hit around. We're like, they also let up runs in the fifth, sixth, seventh, and then runs in the ninth. So four of the five innings your bullpen pitched, you gave, they gave up runs in. Um, so not great. So you're like, cool. Kershaw who, yeah, <laughs> it's not great. Uh, so Kershaw who only threw 75 pitches in game one was on normal rest. You know, two outs in the sixth, your middle relief is pretty sketchy at best. So what's the most common thing to do if you're Dave Roberts, you, you pull Kershaw. So the only thing that I could think of is that his thought process is, all right, we're, we're up four to two, like we're we're good. I'm gonna put faith in my bullpen. We're up four to two. We got the lead. I want to minimize Kershaw's pitch count, and the game plan is where we have an off day. I'm gonna go to the bullpen start. You know, go back to Gonsolin game six, just like they did in game two. You're gonna counter with like, you know. Joe Kelly can pitch a couple innings. Um, May and Gonzalez could probably pitch. You know, Jansen, you know, is, you know, like, all right, if we, if we use Jansen tonight, like we have a day off. It's like with the day off between game five and game six, everyone that you pitch out of the bullpen, pro, like as long as they don't throw 40, 50 pitches, they're probably good for game six. So you're like, that's just what I'm going to do. And then the game plan would be, you know, Madison Bumgarner-esque, for game seven, I'm going to go with Bueller. If I can get five or six innings out of Bueller, then I'm at a point where I can piece together, you know, an, an inning out of, like, you can't do the, the one batter per pitcher thing anymore. Cause you got to go minimum of three, but you can be like, okay, like I can play the matchups and I either have Gonzalez from the left side or may or Trennan or Jansen from the right side. I can come back with Kershaw if I need to, because I minimized his pitch count so far to the series. But your middle relief sucks. You're only up by two, and you have to win one of these games to make there be a game seven. It's like you can't you can't make decisions when game five is still up in the air to be like, all right, I'm playing for game seven if we get there. You know, it's like really you should be playing to end it in six. But I feel like he was like, I'm going to have this, you know, safety clause that if we, if Bueller can't go long in game seven, you know, I, I can come with Kershaw. So either you have to be determined that you're only going to go with Bueller for three or four innings, and then you plan to come with Kershaw, or you're in a situation where Bueller gets hit around and you're probably losing early. And do you really want to go to Kershaw in a game in what you're, in what you're losing already and try to try to pitch out of that like that doesn't seem ideal you know it's like 
you're I, I don't know why you're exposing your middle relief, which is the worst part of your team, when you have your ace pitcher again pretty like cruising along pretty well and you pull him like not even to let him finish the sixth like you go to may with two outs in the sixth inning like it's not like kershaw was all over the place or anything like that like i want to say like he got um a rosa reina and then brandon lau on two pitches like they they um like Rosarina grounded out in the first pitch and then Lau popped out on the second pitch and then you pull him. So it's like really like his workload was two pitches was just right. Like, okay, we're going to pull him now that you couldn't let him like go after Margot. who's like not even that great of a hitter. Now granted, you know, may struck him out, you know, so it, it didn't, matter there and the bullpen you know they did the same thing they did against Atlanta like May pitched an inning in two thirds then Gonzalez got two thirds of an inning and then they turned it over to Trennan to get the the uh the save so like they didn't use Jansen in a save opportunity so he should be pretty well rested you got Kershaw got another win but what I I don't I don't get it I don't understand like I feel like it was a dumb decision, even in the sense like when they pulled May and went to uh, went to Gonzalez. I think that was in the in the eighth when that happened. Yeah, it's like they um you had so May got like let up the single to to Kiermaier, and then he got the next guy to fly out, and they pinch hit with uh. G-Man Choi and you're like okay I'm I'm gonna make the play to go to a lefty and and you know face Choi with a, a left-handed hitter which is which is fine like a lot of teams do that but there's the three batter rule Tampa Bay can easily counter um and just like okay well now we're we're not gonna pinch it with um G-Man Choi, we're going to pinch it with a righty. And the the tying runs at the plate because Kiermaier's on first already. And then, like, after this this spot, you have Randy Arozarena up, who's a righty. So you're, you're that worried about the G-Man Choi matchup from May or what or whatever that you're like, okay, I'm going to give a Rosarena who's the Tampa Bay's best hitter this postseason, a lefty righty matchup. Yeah. By far best. Hitter. Yeah. Like it's just like, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I guess like, like it, it just seemed weird that it's like, okay. And you know, so they, they Tampa Bay did what expected. They countered with uh Brasso who's a righty and Gonzalez ends up walking him. So now it's first and second and, a Rosarena's up and like, in, in my opinion, got lucky. Like it was a slider low and off the plate and a Rosarena like tried to do something with it. And he flew out to center field. So like, I, I think it was on characteristic of uh, Randy Rosarena. I think he's probably trying to do too much. Um, I think that that shows part of the fact that like he's still relatively young. Um, but I, you, like, you made managerial decisions 
that favored Tampa Bay as the Dodgers manager. Like that. Dave, Dave Roberts is just there to manage the payroll, dude. He's not yeah, it, it's just so so dumb to me. And it, again, like it, it, I guess it worked out because Rosarena flew out, and then Brandon Lau, uh, I think he lined out. Uh, both went to center field to Bellinger, who was in center field in games in game five, just so you know. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then they went to Trennan, and Trennan gave up the leadoff base hit, and then he struck out two guys, got the third out, like pretty harmless ninth inning tying run did come to the plate, but was never really too threatened and Dodgers won game five. So, but again, like I just, I don't, I feel like it shouldn't like they're winning in spite of terrible managerial decisions made by Dave Roberts, in my opinion, like he's just over managing his team. And I, I don't know. I don't like it. I don't want it to be rewarded. Like, I feel like Kevin Cash manages his ball club so much better, but the outcome just so far has favored LA, with the exception of game four. Like, in all honesty, this series should have ended in five games, and the Dodgers should be World Series champions right now. Yeah. But we're, we're playing again tomorrow night. I think Snell, um, I think it's... Yeah, Snell, and then it's expected that Gonsolin's going to start again. I think it'll be more of the same. Um, like, I, I don't think it's any surprise that Gonsolin's like 0-2, and, and he's really just an opener. So, he's got an ERA like over 9. He isn't great. It's not, not going to be awesome. And Snell will probably be pretty good. And will send us to a Game 7 on Wednesday. And in that, it's going to be Bueller and um, Morton. And I think it's going to be a similar outcome as game three was. That, like, Morton just won't be able to shut down L.A.'s offense. Bueller will be good enough. And they'll probably have Kershaw pitch out of the out of the bullpen. And he'll be stellar. And it'll be like, Dave Roberts like, this is exactly what I planned it for. That's why I limited his pitch count in game one and game five. I'm a fucking genius. Do you guys remember when I stole those bases in 2004 in the ALCS for the Red Sox? Yeah, like, I'm this awesome. And I'm like, I wish somebody would kick that dude in the shin. There it is. There it is. <laughs> so, no, I just, I, I, I don't like seeing bad baseball rewarded, I guess. Um, it's the, it's the same thing. Like, I... If if it's if it's the Yankees, like of course I celebrate it because they they will always be in my number one. But like if I'm just watching a game, like in this series, I would very much hate to see runs being scored because the team's thrown around. Like Tampa Bay walking off Game Four the way they did was exciting. It was a crazy ending to the game, but ultimately it was bad baseball. Like if I wanted to watch guys just kick the ball around and throw it away, I would tune into the Little League World Series every year. Yeah, like they're like it just I I don't want to watch professionals play at that level. I get it happens, like they're not perfect, but I hate when that that's what happens. Like when I when one team walks a whole bunch, like and it's just like not throwing strikes. Like I think the Cardinals walked it, it felt like the Cardinals walked a ton. Like they drew a lot of walks. But it wasn't like four pitches that weren't anywhere close. Like the Dodger or the Cardinals 
like grinded out a lot of tough at bats, like foul and pitches off with two strikes, you know, some tough takes. Like they, they had productive at bats a lot of times with a lot of the games that I watched. Some of them even resulted in outs, but they weren't just going up there swinging at three pitches that weren't even close. And they looked bad all the time. That did happen at times, but for the most part, like they, they had tough at bats and I can get behind that. Like if a guy, if a pitcher's just struggling and your foul pitches off and then he loses you, that's a battle. Like if it's an eight, nine pitch walk, like that's a good at bat. Like that's not anything like can't fault the pitcher for that. When it's a four, five pitch walk, then the pitcher's sucking. You know, it's like, I just, I, when I'm not invested in one way or the other. So mainly when it's not the Yankees and not the Red Sox, I prefer to see good baseball. I'm completely fine with watching the Red Sox walk a whole bunch of people all the time. Like they can play little league baseball on a regular basis and I'm okay with it. The Yankees can be benefactors of major of minor league baseball, of little league baseball every game. And I will be okay with it. Not going to complain. But if I'm watching, you know, something that like I'm relatively on bias about, I know I hate on the Cardinals a lot um, because I'm mad at them. But for the most part, when I go to a Cardinals game, I just root to see a good game. Unless it's the Yankees, then I don't want to see a good game. I want to see the Yankees blow them out. But I I think that it's it's fair. So for the most part, the series has been relatively good. The managerial decisions from Dave Roberts have not been, and I think he has put himself like he has made decisions to put the Dodgers in a scenario like he's lowered their win expectation. And I don't, I don't want people to be like, he did it. <laughs> Dodgers got it done. <laughs> Dave Roberts takes them to a World Series. It's like, no, they didn't. Like you said, he's there to manage payroll. Like he's, he wants to make sure that everyone's got enough sunflower seeds and that their Gatorade cups are full. Like that's what he's there to do. It's like Aaron Boone. Like I, I hate when everyone's like, Aaron Boone first first manager in history to win a hundred games in his first two seasons. Like, come on, dude, you took over the Yankees. <laughs> like, Bro, I'm pretty sure they won more games the year before you came in than the year you took over. I'm, a, I'm actually going to go look at that. That's what he started in 2018. Okay. Now they won 91 games in 2017. And then they won a hundred games in 2018 or it's like whenever they show the stat of like the Yankees record, cause then they won 103 last year. It's like he had like 203 wins in his first two seasons as a manager. And I'm like, yeah, but look at the team he has. Like it's really not that difficult. Now, 2019, there were a ton of injuries, like guys stepped up and Boone had to make some decisions. I'll give him that. But that first year, Yankees stayed pretty healthy. They won 100 games. That Boone didn't have anything to do with that. I could have led that team to 100 victories. <laughs> you know, I was like, come on, bro. Come on, bro. Um, but yeah, so Dodgers are up three games to two after five. I think it's kind of what I anticipated. Um, I felt like if the Dodgers were going to win this, it was going to be on the backs of Kershaw and Bueller. Um, Glass now has been, I I guess I I don't want to say he's been bad, but it's been 
underwhelming, I guess. Um, he's just, he hasn't pitched very efficiently in the World Series. So, like, as an example, we were saying, like, Kershaw probably could have gone deeper. He was at 85 pitches through five and two-thirds, and he had just gotten two outs on two pitches when they pulled him. Glass now pitched through five, and he threw 102 pitches in game five. Um, in game one... Kind of looking at the difference of like been there, done that before, right? Yeah, like in game one, he went four and a third, and he was at 112 pitches. And he well, didn't, and he didn't really pitch. Like he got hit around. He he didn't really get hit around. He just struggled to throw strikes. Like he walked six guys, and he only gave up three hits. He gave up six runs. So like that's why he got pulled. But he was at 112 pitches. In the fifth inning, Kershaw was at 78 pitches through six, and then they pulled him. And I just don't, I don't get it. Like, I would be so pissed if Boone took Cole out in that scenario. I just don't understand it. And I forgot, I think it was on Twitter earlier I saw, like, I think, I guess it was the whole, I don't know if it was the whole whole postseason or just the World Series, but it was like Max Muncy had seen, like, 291 pitches uh, Mookie Betts had seen like 250 pitches and there was another Dodger here had seen like something like 250 pitches so like it makes sense like Glass now uh, getting 104s early because uh, it seems like the Dodgers I mean they're seeing a lot of pitches just in general so. yeah I, and and I think that that's where teams find success um, it was because I know I talked about it quite a bit that um, the Yankees, when they were when they were successful against the Rays, um, it it was due to them being patient at the plate. So I I think for major league pitchers to be successful, like you have to essentially you like saying pitch efficiently is is simplifying it. A lot in my opinion but i don't really know how else to say it it's a it's a matter of like you know a, a scenario where you're going to say like like you gotta like you have to be able to like i i don't think you can survive in that in the mlb if you're reliant on first pitch fastballs to get you ahead in the count um i don't think throwing 98 plus is impressive at the major league level anymore. Um, It comes with other stuff. Like look at like Hicks Hicks really found his success when he started to develop a set, you know, his secondary pitch and have it be effective. Um, Chapman throws hard as hell, but he's only really devastating and lights out when he locates a slider. Um, Yeah. If, if you don't have anything to come along with it, people are just going to time it up and that's how it's going to be like the, the Mike Brasso home run in game five of the divisional series is a perfect example of that. Like if you go back and watch that home run off of Chapman, Chapman kept going back to his fastball because he couldn't locate a slider and Brasso was timing it up, fouled it off was late, fouled one off is straight back, fouled one off was straight back, hit a home run. Yeah, you know, like so he was timing it, and if it's like if that's all you have is gas, you're gonna get hit at the major level, 
And if you have to come in early, because if guys are going to be patient at the plate, if you can get guys to chase early, then you're fine. Like if you, if there's ever a point in time that you have major league hitters swinging at balls, then you're good. Like you're, you're probably going to be successful, but you have, in order to be able to expand, like to extend the strike zone, you have to get ahead in the count and you can't just pump in a fastball every pitch to start things off. So you got to be able to get in for strikes with your like with your off-speed stuff, a, a slider, a curveball, changeup, something like that, and throw that for strikes. And then it allows you to, you know, extend the strike zone down with like curveballs in the dirt, changeups off the plate, fastballs at the letters. Like you can expand it a little bit, and guys have to be more aggressive. And that's where you get your swing and miss stuff. Um, but it, like I said, it sounds really easy. Like I make it sound super simple, but it. It's probably it's it's not that easy, yeah, you know. Obviously, you know, only right. like one percent of all people that can that try make it or whatever. Right. So it, <clears throat> but I I think what it like the the part that is easier is from the offensive standpoint is being patient. Like I would preach like, hey, like go go up there in an OO count have the mentality that it's 3-0. You're you're looking for this pitch in this area and if it's not there, you're taking it. You know, and like yeah, like so if you notice that a guy is like pumping in a fastball on the first strike against your team and he's throwing it low in the zone, then that's what you go up there looking for. Like you just change your mindset. Like but if he's spotting his fastball low and then the next time through he's he's spotting it up and in and you know whatever and he's got that kind of control he's having a good night anyway but you're you're not you're not killing yourself by giving up a first pitch strike but if you do take a pitch and it's 1-0 like it it limits his options like the mentality shift is quite a bit like especially like in a 2-0 like the probability in a 2-0 count of a pitcher coming with his number one or number two pitch is probably exponentially higher than on any other count you know, like where you have a guy like Trevor Bauer who throws five or six pitches in his repertoire, if he's down 2-0, you could probably narrow that down to one or two pitches that he's probably going to come in on, you know, given with whatever he's got going on that day that you can look for. And if you can look for a pitch and react to it, like that's when you're going to start to hit a guy hard. Like that's going to be when you start to drive the ball over the place. Um, so, but it all starts from get ahead in the count. If you're swinging on the first pitch, you're never ahead in the count. Like you can't get ahead in the count if you swing at the first pitch. So I, I wish teams were more patient at the plate and it was game five. Like the Yankees weren't patient. And that's why you saw like, you know, glass now went three innings and then it was like two innings from Anderson, two innings from Fairbanks, two innings from Castillo. That it was like one trip through the order for all of them. Um, and it might even have been like two innings from glass now and then like a final inning somewhere, or I think they were even the home team or something. I, I don't, I forget what it was, but all like the Yankees weren't patient and everyone pitched super efficiently. And I don't think you've seen a raise reliever pitch two complete innings yet in this postseason, like in the series against, um, the Dodgers. I'm going to, I'm going to check that right now. So, Fleming pitched two and two thirds in a game that they were already down six to one. 
so he was eating innings. In game two, none of the relievers made it to two full innings. Game three, none of the relievers went two full innings. Game four, um, only two of the relievers got more than three outs. Like uh, Anderson and Curtis both got four outs, but no one pitched two full innings. And then game five, again, no no reliever pitched two full innings. So they've had guys that have gone back out and pitched like into a second inning, but they didn't get through that inning, um, whether it be at like a higher pitch count or they just pull a guy or whatever. Like Castillo only threw eight pitches, but he got the last out of an inning and then pitched a full inning um, in game five. Like the against the Yankees, they're – their big three were going two innings like every game it felt like um, because they weren't being patient at the plate. So they were allowing, they were helping Tampa Bay pitch efficiently so you can get more outs. And it's that middle relief is the weak part of every team. And that's where you got to get, you got to get the starter out in like the fourth or fifth inning. And then you got to take the lead and, or nail it home before like the, the eighth inning. So it's like that, that fifth, sixth, seventh area is like the where the offense is the better of the two options that are there. When you're facing, you know, top tier pitching, top tier starting pitching, like that's that's where you got to get in with the getting in. Yeah. And the like you said, like the Dodgers have done a good job of doing that. Um, and I think that that's where it shows like they've scored at least four runs in every game this World Series. Like, I think that's really impressive against the Rays team, you know, that, what, they let up, what we say, 230 runs in 60 games. So, a little less than four runs a game. So, the Dodgers have have scored more on average than the Rays let up all season with the teams that they played. And the, and the Rays played some pretty, like, run-scoring teams. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, Atlanta had the second-best offense in baseball. Like, Philadelphia had a pretty potent offense. Washington, the Mets, they were just under 300 runs. Obviously, the Yankees were pretty good. Toronto put up over 300 runs. Boston was a terrible team. They scored almost 300 runs. They just couldn't stop anybody from scoring. Yeah, like we we talk about like the Cardinals' offense being as anemic as it was. <clears throat> I mean, the the Cubs in the NL Central scored 265 runs. That was the most in the NL Central, and the Red Sox scored 292 runs, and they went 24 and 36. <laughs> you know, like they let up 350 runs, which I think was like the worst in the majors. Yeah, like even Pittsburgh didn't let up 300 runs. Sorry, Colorado let up 353. But you got to add some runs for playing a course for 30 of your games. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's just the Dodgers' offense has been has, – has done what we thought they were going to do. Um, they haven't exploded in the same manner in which they did against, you know – against Atlanta where like they scored 15 runs. Um, you know, but the Dodgers also like they only like they scored one, 
two, three. Like there were three games that they scored less than four runs against Atlanta, and the Rays haven't been able to do that yet. Grand series isn't over yet, but I I think in baseball like that four to five run mark is like the sweet spot. Like it's gonna be pretty rare that you score more than like you score five runs or more and lose. Um, like I'm gonna see in the postseason. So once, twice, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, so it's it's happened. 10 times in the entirety of the postseason. Not very many. Yeah. And I don't know how many games it is. I can I can do the math real quick. 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, um, 16, 18, 22, 27, 30, 33, 40, 47, 52. So, 52 games and 10 times the team scored five or more runs and lost. So, I mean, may, maybe a little more often than I would have been, I would have guessed. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of those games were were also relatively close. Like, the Rays beating the Dodgers 8-7. to seven, um, Atlanta beat the Dodgers 8-7. to seven. Uh, There was the... Um, like one of the Yankees Rays game, um, the Yankees Indians game was pretty high scoring. Um, the Padres Cardinals game that was like eleven to nine, but three of the ten times came in the Astros Athletic Series. <laughs> so, so if you remove those four games, then it happened seven times in what I say, fifty-five games, like fifty-one games, something like that. But it's about one out of every ten games that happens, which is, like I said, a higher percentage than I would have guessed, but it's still pretty pretty rare for it to happen. So, if you're if you get to that point where you're scoring four or five runs a game, you should be in pretty great shape in baseball in general, I think. Agreed. Um, so I know you're you're still pro Tampa Bay so you're hoping for a game seven with seeing how things have shaped up do you do you still think that's going to be the case or you're just gonna you know try to manifest destiny by saying that's what's going to happen oh this series is going seven dude baseball's getting paid every last dollar in <laughs> yeah I believe who's gonna win the next one it, you know you gotta watch it yeah I also agree that uh it'll go seven um, I still think the Dodgers will win in seven behind Bueller. Um, I think Snell will have a great game, like I've said. Uh, but yeah, game six tomorrow night, game seven if needed Wednesday night. So we'll be able to to recap on that. Um, I feel like this is probably as good a spot as any to wrap it up. Um, I do know one of the things I want to touch on next week, which will be a little bit better after we after the World Series is done, um, you know, we'll be able to assess 
the awards that they give out. Um, obviously, they've done it for the LCS already, but we'll see who, what happens, and if we agree or disagree with with the players that got them, we can do that. Um, but I want to talk about as well um, the records that have been broken in this postseason. Um, I know I've kind of said some stuff off of off the air about it, but just to give people a sneak peek with what we'll we'll be getting into next week. Um, so it'll just be the last two games, maybe, maybe just one game if LA gets it done tomorrow. Um, and then maybe we'll just kind of throw around some ideas with what we think we might cover. Like we'll just do that on air, <laughs> kick some, kick some ideas, pitch some ideas to each other, see if we get anyone to chime in with what sounds good or doesn't sound good to them. You know, all of our listeners from Ireland and the Philippines that don't ever interact with us on social media. Bunch of haters. Works for me. But cool, yeah, I think that was all I had. It was really just those two things and talking about Todd Titchener. Um, cool, cool. All right, well, uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, hopefully it's a good end of the World Series. And until next week, stay cool.